1: From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on forum, the pandemic put a spotlight on the importance of child and home care and support for the elderly or people with disabilities as schools and care centers closed their doors and pushed some families to breaking points. But as we emerge from the pandemic, has that realization translated into more investment and support for care workers? We'll talk with Ijen jen Poo, who heads the National Domestic Workers Alliance, about the cultural shift she says she's seeing in Americans' view of domestic and care work as essential to a thriving economy. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. One of the most contentious parts of negotiations with Republicans over President Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure plan is that the administration has included caring for children and the elderly under its definition of infrastructure, arguing that it's as essential to a functioning economy as roads and bridges. That idea isn't new. Several years ago, Ai Jen Poo used the term "infrastructure" to refer to care-related work. Poo is head of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, and for decades has sought better pay and working conditions for caregivers, nannies, house cleaners, and others in the care economy. Welcome to Forum, Ai Jen Poo. Thank you so much for having me. Well we're really glad to have you here, and. I guess I should start there. Why do you think care-related work is best described as infrastructure?
2: Well, we've always talked about domestic work, um, the work that happens inside of our homes um, to take care of our family members, our children, our loved ones with disabilities, our aging loved ones. That really is the work that makes all other work possible. Right. Mm -hmm. Having access to care makes it possible for all of us to go out into the world and do what we do every single day. And if you think about the definition of infrastructure, I even looked it up in the dictionary a bunch (laughs) of times. (laughs) It's really that which enables society and the economy to function. And what could be more fundamental than having the ability to take care of your loved ones? as you prepare to work and and participate in our workforce and economy in lots of different ways. So I think it's like, even if you think about the traditional definition of infrastructure, roads, bridges, tunnels, all of the people who are rebuilding our bridges and fixing our tunnels, they need care too. <laughs> so maybe it's the first form of infrastructure before anything else.
1: It's also, I think, really became glaringly clear, of course, during the pandemic when millions of people were actually forced out of the workforce to some extent to be able to care, say, for school-aged children. So when you talk about, for example, even just the child care piece of it, What you're saying about it, enabling other people to work, I think really became quite clear in the last year and a half or so. But I'm curious what you think about the fact that care as infrastructure, that premise is now in a presidential infrastructure bill, in Biden's
2: infrastructure bill. I think it's the single greatest opening and opportunity we've had in generations to establish the kind of policies and programs we need to support our ability to care for our families as we work. And and it's necessary. I mean, even before the pandemic, many of us were simmering in a care crisis. Mm. And what I mean by that is, We have a situation where the baby boom generation is aging into retirement at a rate of 10,000 people per day, turning 65. Every eight seconds, someone turns 65 in our country, and we're living longer than ever before because of advances in healthcare and technology. So we've basically added an entire generation onto our lifespan, and we haven't adapted any of our systems, our policy, or our culture to support a quality of life and the care we need as we live longer. Millennials are also having 4 million babies per year. So on both ends of the generational spectrum, we need more care than ever before at a time when we have less of it, whereas our default care infrastructure in previous generations was just expecting that women will take care of it and stay home and be a full-time family caregiver. And that just hasn't been our reality for decades. And for some communities, it was never our reality. So we are catching up to a cultural moment. And what the pandemic revealed was that if we were feeling the pain of it before, the unaffordability of care, the struggle to find the right care, all of that was a kind of simmering crisis before that we kind of blamed ourselves for. We thought maybe we don't have the right job or we didn't save enough or it was a personal failure Mm -hmm. now in the pandemic i think we all recognize it's impossible and it's not our fault we need infrastructure we need programs policies systems and a strong care workforce to support us even as we realize
1: how much, or or maybe it reaffirmed if we already knew just how important care workers are, we do know that domestic workers, people who've worked in homes, people who clean homes, people who care for children, elderly, people with disabilities, that they faced an incredibly tough time during the pandemic. Actually, we heard from Andrea Lopez Who told Forum this, Andrea writes, I started cleaning homes six years ago when I moved to Los Angeles. I'm a single mom of two daughters who are 12 and 15 years old. During the pandemic, I lost work and wasn't earning any money. I faced hard times. I had one client who had COVID and didn't tell me when I went to clean his home. I was so afraid to go home to my daughters.
3: Y yo dejé el trabajo, le dije, ¿por qué no me dijiste que tenías COVID? Yo me hubiera protegido más.
1: I had to leave that job. I asked him, why didn't you tell me? I would have better protected myself if I had known. I cleaned his bathrooms. I made the bed. I felt like I was infected until I received my test results. Again, that was Andrea Lopez on a call with our forum producer Can you talk about um, some of those incredibly tough things that domestic workers face? But I'm wondering if first you could talk about who is most likely to be a domestic worker in this country?
2: Yes, so domestic workers, there are over two and a half million of them. um, And they're overwhelmingly women, so 92% women, and majority women of color including many immigrant women. Um, And this is actually the part of the economy with the highest concentration of undocumented immigrants of any workforce. And it's also majority primary income earners for their families and majority mothers of small children. So we have a workforce who is essential to not only the families they support, but their own families and communities. And it's also a workforce that has always been majority women of color. And in fact, some of the first domestic workers in the US were enslaved Black women. And the fact that the work as a profession has always been associated with women of color, Black women, Brown women. It has profoundly shaped the way that we've treated this work in law and policy and in culture. So if you think about it, we still in our culture today still refer to this work as help, as mm. opposed to the profession it is for millions. And in starting in the 1930s, when we were putting our kind of foundational labor laws into place, this workforce was excluded intentionally um, as a result of racism and the legacy of slavery in our country, southern members of Congress refused to support our labor laws if they included equal protections for farm workers and domestic workers who were Black at the time. And that has kind of defined how this workforce has been treated and excluded time after time, and it created a, a situation of extreme insecurity that when domestic workers entered a crisis like a pandemic just became incredibly exacerbated.
1: Could you talk a little bit more about some of the more common structural problems that you see regarding pay and working conditions? And, I, and I'm actually talking about pre-pandemic at this point.
2: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, 82% of domestic workers didn't have a single paid sick day. And mind you, this is work that by definition has to be done in person. It can't be done remotely. So, the second the stay at home orders came down, you saw dramatic losses in jobs and income because there's no job security. There's no contract or work agreement. There's no job security. And there's also um the wages are essentially poverty wages so most domestic workers didn't have a savings to be able to fall back on and i remember in march of 2020 in the first weeks of the pandemic we held a meeting on zoom with some of our members and one of them held her phone up to the zoom screen to show us that she literally had one cent left in her bank account Mm -hmm. and was not sure where her groceries were going to come from in the following week
1: What I'm so struck by in terms of hearing you describe this too is that I would hear similar
2: stories from people in the gig
1: economy, for example, or in other types of roles in the US, even.
2: Mm -hmm. That's why we call domestic workers the original gig economy workers. (laughs) (laughs) Because the conditions, if you think about it, when I first started working with domestic workers in 1998, it was considered sort of a marginal workforce in the shadows and on the edges of our economy almost exotic in a way and the conditions of not having clear work hours not having a clear job description or work agreement not having job security or access to a safety net or benefits of any sort it was pretty you rare or kind of at the edges at that time and now if you look around more and more american workers are dealing with that same precarity that same insecurity and really i think it's the the gig economy kind of dynamic of piecing it together barely making it work not having access to a safety net even something as basic as paid time off that has become the reality for so many of us.
1: We're talking with Ijen jen Poo, executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, as well as co-director of Caring Across Generations, an organization focused on improving elder care and co-founder of Supermajority, a membership organization for activists. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What are your thoughts about what you're hearing? Your thoughts about whether care should be considered infrastructure? Are you a domestic or childcare worker? What have your experiences been like during the pandemic or even before? Or what has that pandemic taught you about the importance yet instability of the care industry, either as a worker or as someone who has needed care and services. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Igen jen head of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, about the fight to secure better pay and benefits for workers who provide child care and in-home care and clean homes, but also about how the pandemic demonstrated that providing care is an essential component of a thriving economy. Poo says it should be treated as infrastructure, and it's been proposed that way by President Biden recently in his American Jobs Plan. You, our listeners, are weighing in with your thoughts as well about care as infrastructure, about your experience doing domestic or child care work or or needing that kind of work and what the pandemic taught you, 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. And Delilo writes, I live in San Rafael and I own a small house cleaning company that I've built for 29 years. In all my years as a house cleaner and business owner, never did a situation get so difficult like it did during the height of the pandemic. In my personal life, it was hard as I had to distance myself from my son and husband because we all were aware of how I was exposing myself. We would sleep in different rooms daily and eat at different schedules. And when COVID-19 entered my home, that's when it was hardest. I did not physically interact with my family for 18 days. In my business, I had it hard as well. Most of my clients canceled indefinitely without pay. My employees were quitting out of fear, and I felt this pandemic was going to leave me without business. But luckily, my team of five ladies pulled through with valor. Day by day, it felt longer but we knew at some point the situation would get better our clients were asking for a new service of disinfecting their homes after a family member was either exposed or positive with COVID-19 a new and more difficult work required my ladies and I to wear full body coverall suits for three to four hours so we could rid the home of COVID-19 let me go to uh, oh, oops let's see if we can get our call set up here uh, let's go to Janet in Alameda hi Janet Yes, hi.
4: I'm very curious what um, the guest has to say about the role that agencies pay in the poor working conditions, lack of benefits, mm. and low pay of home health care workers. I have two relatives that passed away within the past five years and had experience with getting the agencies to come to the house. They straight up lie to you about what um, the patient will be provided. It's between 15 and 18,000 a month for full time care. And then when the women would actually come to the house, I would get in discussions with them and they would tell me about being paid just a few dollars an hour, pay being taken away from them, no benefits, just appalling working conditions. So I would always go out and find independent caregivers and I would pay them directly between 20 and 30 an hour. They would keep all the money. So I'm curious to what the woman says about these agencies and the role that that plays in these poor working conditions and pay.
1: Janet, thanks.
2: Ajit Pood, thoughts for what Janet's situation,
1: um, what she, what she found?
2: Um, well, I've heard the story over and over again. And, um, and while there are, I'm sure, plenty of good agencies that, um, want to do the right thing by both uh, clients and people who need care and the workforce i do hear story after story of agencies that overcharge families and underpay workers and underdeliver in terms of quality of service and um, and i will say that when you have a entire part of our economy that isn't valued isn't recognized, isn't accounted for or invested in, this becomes the culture where it's kind of a wild west type environment where anything goes. And if you happen to find um, the services that you need, it's a little bit of a a lucky draw. (laughs) And, And that's why the emphasis on care as infrastructure we need to be investing in these programs and these systems and the ability to get the services that we need for the people that we love as some of our most essential capacity in society and in the economy. And, and so I would say that, Janet, you are not alone. And that story is so common. And that is what we have the opportunity to change now in this very moment, this new New Deal moment where we have an administration that really understands the value of caregiving and the value of caregivers and wants to improve the wages and working conditions for this workforce. And um, if we have some time later, I'd love to speak a little bit more about exactly how that works because I think people are not sure what that means when we say invest in care infrastructure.
1: Yeah. Well, Helen, for example, writes, the sister Helen, care is important, but it is not the role of the federal government. It is the role of family, friends, churches, and community groups. Many Americans work on ranches and farms and do not have the luxury of hiring others to care for our families. Mm.
2: You know what I would say to that is that it's not either or, and in fact, it's both and. And that what's been happening so far Is that we have all been isolated and struggling in our isolation to figure it out and care is costly Um, the average cost of childcare is about $19,000 a year the average cost of a private room in a nursing home is more than $100,000 per year and 60% of the American workforce earns less than $50,000 per year. So the numbers simply just don't add up, not to mention the programs that would facilitate our ability to find the right match of the services that we need. And so I would say that we need a strong workforce, we need these programs and policies, and we need family, friends, and neighbors because Care is and always has been um, an all hands on deck situation. It's a, it's a village effort, right? It takes a village to not only raise a child, but to support a quality of life for all of us in this country as we all are part of intergenerational families and communities.
1: Well, Evelyn Alfaro writes, The pandemic affected me tremendously. I was without work for several months. I was saving up for eye surgery, so I had to use my savings and stretch them out as much as possible. After the quarantine and shutdown, little by little, I started working a day or a few days a week. I didn't drive, so I used public transportation. So I feared that I could die or I could contract the virus and spread it to my extended family. It was a big risk. In spite of knowing the risks and being exposed, I also knew I didn't have a choice. I have to work to survive. So, I let's talk about what you mean when you say investment um, in care workers and the care economy. What does it look like? Because we do right now have, for example, the Biden bill that's talking about, you know, a $400 billion investment, I believe. Let me just <laughs> make sure I have my mm, numbers right, correct that's here. That's right. That's um, right. And, in, in the care economy, looking at things like Medicaid and so
2: on, is that what, what you mean by investment? Yes, so in the American Jobs Plan, the Biden American Jobs and Infrastructure Plan, that proposed $400 billion investment in Medicaid home and community-based care is what I'm talking about. What that money would do is it would expand access to home and community-based services and care for the elderly and people with disabilities. And it would support raising wages and access to benefits for the workforce. Right now, the average annual income of a home care worker is $17,000 per year. I don't know a single community where $17,000 a year is sustainable, let alone enough to raise a family on. And so, what we end up seeing is high rates of turnover because people simply cannot survive and sustain themselves doing this work. And that affects the quality of services that people can get. And it also affects the ability to recruit workers to do this work. And because we don't because the wages are so poor and the conditions are so tough, we have huge parts of this country that we call home care deserts or direct care deserts because people can't get the support that they need in order to live in their communities. And they end up either having to go into a nursing home or having to rely on overstretched family caregivers who have to make impossible choices about whether or not they can work. the, the money, the, the money to Medicaid would specifically raise wages for the home care workforce and strengthen that workforce so that they can stay and sustain themselves doing this work, and it would expand access to the services for the over 800,000 people who are waiting on waiting lists and the millions more who don't even know there's a waiting list to wait on.
1: Well, let me go to caller Guillermo in San Leandro. Hi, Guillermo. Join us. Hi.
5: Thank you for taking my phone call. So part of the problem, and I've been listening to your discussion about, you know, I, I'm a landscape designer and a contractor. I, I have a small business. I will love. I keep my guys out of my pocket paying them during the pandemic. And also, I encourage them to move forward in life. But here is the problem. The problem is when the consumer nickel and diming you. When you come with a contract and they look at it and say, oh, yeah, but you know what? I'm not willing to pay this. I only want to pay you this amount of money because uh, I can find somebody else cheaper that can do this job. And, you know, that culture is really into the consumer. Not everybody, because I have people who are absolutely magnificent, right? They keep and encourage us to move forward in life. How can we move forward? When you have consumers who are nickel and diming you every single time, that you want to move forward in life, or your mm. workers want to? You want them to move forward in life and be fun, make the American Dream happen to them too. Okay, so that's a problem. That is a big um, problem,
1: Guillermo. What I really f- feel like I'm hearing in what you're saying too is is Your point about the precarity, right? You you are relying uh, in many ways on the I don't know, on the values of your consumer, to some extent, as Guillermo is saying here.
2: That's right. It's very, it's too arbitrary. And there's no, it's too arbitrary what conditions you'll face. Um, And having a part of the economy, like the care economy that has been so undervalued and invisibilized for so long, it's kind of like an anything goes environment. And Um, And that's why having standards, having a plan to raise wages and provide benefits for this workforce and lifting up this work, whether it's done by family members or the workforce, to really have a culture where we value care and caregiving um, for its true role in our society, which is enabling and and so fundamental, what could be more fundamental to humanity than care and caregiving? So, you have
1: talked about Poo,
2: that you are
1: witnessing what you feel like is an awakening that uh, we as a nation do need infrastructure to support us collectively, right? To to address this arbitrariness that you're talking about, but but what evidence do you have that that there is a tangible cultural shift happening here or that maybe the realizations during the pandemic for example about the value of the work is really translating
2: well i do feel this incredible Rage—we <laughs> call it the mom's <laughs> rage—that <laughs> um, the incredible frustration that moms are feeling and have felt throughout the pandemic, and um, and all of the reactions since people have been starting to get vaccinated, and complaints about how people aren't working, um, even though the economy is reopening. When If you're a parent or you're a primary caregiver for a family member who needs assistance with activities of daily life, you know that it's an impossible choice between work and family, family members who need you for their basic human needs. And the kind of rage that I'm feeling, especially from women who disproportionately bear the brunt of caregiving responsibilities in our country, and especially women of color, who've been pushed out of the workforce by the millions, almost 5 million women pushed out of the workforce in the pandemic because of caregiving challenges. I mean, that is an indicator that something is very broken. And if we are to pull ourselves back from the regression to 1988 work women's workforce participation levels, we're gonna have to rebuild and build something really different. And I think people know that in their guts. And I, I but I do think that this, this cultural norm that we have around care being an individual responsibility and a responsibility of individual families and in parentheses, women, um is one that is very deep so it's not like we're gonna move past it um, overnight and it's not that it isn't the responsibility of women and families and individuals but it is about what is our responsibility collectively to each other as a society to ensure that we have real choices and real agency when it comes to the people we love
1: Are you actually seeing, though, I mean, have there been surveys done about this? Maybe there have been more surveys done, say, for example, about the idea of care as infrastructure. But are are you seeing data supporting the notion that uh, this is something that people want to address collectively at the federal level, for example?
2: Oh, yeah. I've gotten so so many polling reports so much data about the popularity of these programs of the biden jobs plan care agenda the american families plan which is also part of biden's build back better plan that includes paid family and medical leave and it includes child care these programs are incredibly popular across Democrats, Republicans, and independents um, at the level of grassroots voters. And and I hope that that means that when it gets translated into politics with a capital P, that we're going to actually see some movement this time around. Well, let me go to Celia in Riverside. Hi, Celia. Good morning. Thank you for taking
3: my call. Just to um, emphasize what during your uh, the person you're interviewing said it is a both and in what she just said about president biden's plan to include this kind of care in the infrastructure that he's proposing i found myself having needing somebody in my friend um, who is actually a neighbor, was able to accommodate me. I didn't needed her for just a few days, but I did need her. I dislocated a shoulder. I couldn't do my dishes. I couldn't take my trash out. I couldn't wash my bathtub. I couldn't vacuum. And she helped me out and I thought, My goodness, yes, yes to all of this. Please
1: keep pushing. Mm. Well, Celia, thanks for, for sharing your experience, and I'm sorry it was so tough, but glad that you were able to get help from your friend and neighbor. Again, we're talking with Ai-jen Poo, Executive Director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, and we're talking about whether care should be considered infrastructure, the experiences of domestic child care, uh, elder care workers uh, during the pandemic, what their experience has been like, and also just what the pandemic has been teaching people like Celia for example about the importance um, yet the instability of the care industry and we're hearing your reflections at 866 6786 again 866 6786 you're also emailing us forum at kqed.org you can always post your comments on twitter or facebook at kqed forum we'll have more with Igenpu after the break stay with us I'm Nina Kim This is Forum, I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Ai-jen Poo, executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, as well as co-director of Caring Across Generations, an organization focused on improving elder care. We're talking about the fight to secure better pay, benefits, working conditions for domestic workers, and how the pandemic has accelerated that push. We're also getting your thoughts on whether care should be considered infrastructure, as is, as a term that uh, Ai-jen Poo has used to talk about care-related work and and as we're seeing it be translated in President Biden's American Jobs Plan. You, our listeners, can join us at 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Poo, one of the things I, I've wondered is how you came to organize domestic workers, why this became an issue that was so important to you, that you've devoted decades to it now.
2: Well, I think um, I was raised by some really strong women in an intergenerational immigrant household. Um, And I watched both my mother and my grandmother as they worked full time and cared for families and family friends and neighbors. And so much of the work that they did as caregivers was taken for granted and not really valued and or even seen. Um, or accounted for. And I think that, um, you know, seeing as I became older that there, when I moved to New York City, walking the streets of Manhattan, seeing so many women of color taking care of white children (laughs) in the city as the kind of backbone of the economy, the most most visible, invisible workforce of, of New York City, Um, And just recognizing, wow, there's a whole economy here that we rely on in so many ways for our most fundamental needs, who is so undervalued and overwhelmingly women of color. And if we could figure out how we value and protect those workers so that they could care for themselves and their own families, it would really get at the heart of how we got to an economy that really does not support so many of us to care for ourselves and the people that we love it would almost help us turn it inside out and and reimagine it in a way to be much more humane and much more about the dignity of of work
1: in terms of invisibility, I have often felt that less is known about Asian American Pacific Islander domestic workers. I, I do wonder as you just talk about invisibility too, that is a word that has come up a lot um amid just the racist attacks against Asian women and and Asian elders. And I'm curious if you're seeing almost a um like a parallel momentum <laughs> shift in terms of asian americans vulnerable domestic workers becoming more visible with these twin issues um, becoming organizing politically even more than before
2: absolutely i'm seeing asian women across so many communities and um and workforces really rising to this moment and rising out of a tremendous amount of crisis in the last year, um, you know, I'm not sure how many of your listeners know, but a- API women are disproportionately concentrated in care work, especially in home care work. Um, there are a huge number of Filipina uh, domestic workers and care workers, um, Korean, Chinese-American, Vietnamese-American, um, and so we are disproportionately concentrated in this highly invisible sector work that is also quite insecure in terms of the conditions. And we also skew older in this workforce. So AAPI women are on average older in age than other care workers. And what I was hearing from a lot of our AAPI um care workers this year was that they were not only dealing with the stressors of being essential workers and navigating um, the safety of their clients their own family's safety their kids online learning and and earning poverty wages amidst it all but they were also navigating feeling targeted and unsafe as asian women um, on their way to and from work and so finding safer modes of transportation to and from work became not just about the pandemic and minimizing the risk of exposure but also out of fear of being targeted and for racist violence and and on top of that even you have a high number of undocumented aapi immigrant women doing this work who at the same time because they don't have citizenship they live in fear of deportation and being separated from their families despite being essential workers in this country so the layers of challenge have meant that the community has come together to support each other in new ways and to organize and and to show up to vote um, and to lead in new ways and and so i do believe that coming out of this moment that there will be a new context and a new sense of momentum to address the invisibility and the racism that our community faces.
1: Well, let me go to caller Anne in San Francisco. Hi, Anne.
2: Hello. Hi. Can you hear me?
1: I can. Hi. Okay. Um, So I would like to share my experience
3: that is completely different than the other caller. Um, All my clients, they paid me during the pandemic. Mm. So my income was about the same. I don't know. If uh, the problem about the language makes difference because I have a very good relationship with my clients. So we talk. They know about my life. They know about my kids. So it gets more like personal. I don't know if that's the reason or The reason is because I'm legally here and I feel more confident about requesting something. Mm. Um, But I do believe that the language makes a lot of difference because if the house cleaner goes to your house, just do the job. They don't know her. I think they feel different about when they know the person. They feel more... um, care about who's at your house.
1: And thanks for sharing your experience. I'm glad it's been positive and that you have such a good relationship with the people that you work with. I'm curious to get your reaction, Poo, to what Annas is describing here.
2: I think that this is also true that this is also a story and a reality that there are so many people who have wonderful relationships with their clients and the people that they work for. And um, I've heard wonderful stories about um, employers continuing to pay their domestic workers through the pandemic for many months. Um, So this is definitely also, (coughs) excuse me, also a reality. And I think what I'm saying is that we should have better norms and standards so that it's not kind of it's not luck of the draw mm. depending on who you who you work for
1: well let me read a couple more comments philip writes i'm a full-time caregiver for my wife i did the math to replace me 24 hours a day at $15 an hour works out to $130,000 a year far beyond the budget of most people Art writes, it's become clear during the COVID pandemic that the nursing home industry has failed our elders and disabled family members. The majority of deaths were in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. How can Biden's American Jobs Act infrastructure bill help us protect ourselves when we eventually need the care and our elderly and disabled loved ones from suffering and dying for not, for, in for-profit nursing homes?
2: Well, this is really at the heart of the Biden care plan which is to expand access to home and community-based services so that people have more options to stay at home and connected to their communities and families as opposed to having to go into a nursing home um, so that there are more options. Most people um, think that we have a long-term care program in this country. People assume that Medicare covers long-term care and it just doesn't Um, and so you really have two options you could pay for very expensive long-term care insurance which is a private market product um, or you can spend down your assets in order to become eligible for medicaid and a huge number of people are forced to do that because they can't afford to pay out of pocket or they haven't bought long-term care insurance and medicaid is what they call biased towards nursing home care institution-based care Um, the way the system was designed was to essentially pay for people to go into nursing homes and over time there have been more states that have offered options through medicaid to be able to get that care in the home and in the community But what the Biden care plan does is it essentially makes that much more viable and possible in more states around the country. It really invests in more of us having access to those services through Medicaid and a stronger workforce to support those services across the country.
1: One of the things I feel like I I frequently hear is just about the incredible expense that home care in home care is and a concern that while yes people want to be able to make conditions a lot more a lot more stable for care workers there are concerns about whether or not affordability will be addressed at the same time
2: can you address that mm-hmm. absolutely i think the Biden Jobs, American Jobs Plan is the single most important step in the direction of making care much more accessible and affordable um, long term. And what I mean by that is right now, 70% of the home care workforce works through the Medicaid program, which is a program that is federally funded along with state funding. Um, And so... What the federal government can do to strengthen that program, to expand access to those services and that care for consumers who need it and to raise wages is significant. And what this plan does is really, um, is really take that step, that first step of strengthening the programs that currently exist so that more people can have access and so the workers can have better jobs. It doesn't address people who are not um, eligible for Medicaid um, and, and the workers who are working in the private market where there are no federal or public dollars. But that is um, right now a minority still and that is what we can start to prepare for if we have shored up the workforce that we have and secured and strengthened the existing workforce, it allows us to have the, a critical building block to long-term making these services much more available. Um, and I do believe that we'll need a new program that expands access and makes care much more affordable to more people without relying upon Medicaid alone. Um, and this is a first step
1: we're exploring the cultural and policy changes that are rethinking the role of care in our economy with Ai-jen Poo, executive director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Rona in Oakland. Hi, Rona, thanks for waiting. Rona, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, great, you're on. What's okay, on great. your mind?
3: Hi, so
1: what I was hoping to know is how
4: um, we can go about providing for the rights of um, domestic laborers who are undocumented. Um, the guest pointed out that a majority of domestic workers in the United States right now are undocumented, or at least if there is a critical mass of them who are. And I just wonder if whether that's a particular reason that they're vulnerable um, to exploitation by their employers.
1: Uh, rona thanks for the question and i don't know ijen if you want to comment on how california it might be a little bit different from the rest of the country but
2: um thoughts on rona's question about protections for undocumented domestic yes yeah, absolutely so there are a tremendous number of undocumented workers essential workers in this industry and we've been working really hard to make sure that we seize upon this moment as we're imagining uh An economic recovery that is inclusive and supportive of essential workers how we can include the undocumented domestic workers and care workers that have kept us safe and cared for us through the pandemic and um, senator padilla from california has introduced legislation to create a path to citizenship for the five million essential workers across industries who have kept us safe um, and kept our economy going through this time of crisis. And, um, and so we are very busy uh, trying to get support for that legislation and it could be really transformative and it would be inclusive of domestic workers uh, to your question. So let the senator know that you really support his efforts and, um, and help us get uh, people signed on to that bill
1: um and uh evelyn writes we are fighting for sb3 Twenty-one in a paid sick leave program in San Francisco that this would give us basic protections in our workplaces. Domestic workers have been excluded from other protections. They don't see our work as important because of racism or sexism. This is a work that I like doing that is important and makes it possible for others to go to work. There is dignity in it. Why should I find another line of work? I would like to see this work valued and for workers to have basic protections. I believe 321 is related to OSHA protections, or looking into it at least, I believe, at the initial stages for domestic workers.
2: Yes. The California Domestic Workers Coalition has been organizing um, for over a year now to pass a measure in the state legislature that would bring domestic workers under existing occupational safety and health protections in the state. Um, And There is, as I mentioned earlier, a long history of exclusion of domestic workers from some of the rights and benefits that most of us take for granted when we go to work every day. And domestic workers in California need your support in getting this bill passed. And I'm so glad we were able to hear from, from, was it Evelyn who wrote? Yeah,
1: Well, Miranda writes, I'm a mother and I'm happy to work, but if there's an emergency, my husband or I would rather leave our jobs and care for the kids. Kids are our responsibility. COVID is not an excuse for a bigger federal government. ai what do you think this moment is right now, this moment of emerging from the pandemic? Because you've called it an opportunity. So just in our final 30 seconds or so, I'm wondering if you can leave us with an ending thought about how you would like us to think about this moment that we're in and what
2: we've just been through every several generations we have a moment to reset our democracy and our economy for the next era and it usually comes at the heels of crisis and i believe that we are in one of those moments the new deal emerged from a time like that the civil rights movement we are in one of those moments to be able to rebirth our economy in a way that's more equitable and, and more inclusive and where more people can have the agency and the dignity that they deserve. And that's what this moment is to me.
1: Ai-jen Poo, Executive Director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks to our listeners for sharing their stories, their questions, their comments. And also thanks to Blanca Torres for producing today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. You've been listening to Forum.
5: Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and die to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? the snap judgment podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes snap judgment listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts